This is the Calvary Bible Church Podcast. Thanks for listening in today. We're praying this message encourages you. Learn more about Calvary and join us online each Sunday for services at calvarybible.com. Thanks for joining us online. Calvary Bible Church, Church on Memorial Day weekend. Glad that you're with us, and I envision you in your place wherever you are at home or in the dining room with your Bible open, watching this service, and we really believe God's going to speak to us this morning as we look at the text from the book of Philippians. It's Memorial Day weekend. We give a special welcome to those of you who are veterans, and we're so thankful for your service and pray that you'll know the grace of God in your life. With me today is Perry Marshall on our staff at Calvary with adult ministries and a veteran of the United States Air Force. Glad that you're with us, Perry. Thanks, Tom. Really appreciate it. Yeah, very different Memorial Day weekend for us, especially for the city of Boulder. No Boulder Creek Festival this weekend. My family and I would normally be running the Boulder Boulder, which I'm sure some of you would as well, along with about 50,000 of our closest friends. I love that race. It's such a great experience to come into Folsom Stadium. At that point, I feel like an elite athlete as I'm headed for the finish line and the stands are nearly full. I usually pick out somebody in front of me who I can catch at the finish line. That person's usually dressed like as a gorilla wearing a tutu and flip-flops, but I catch him right at the last second. It's a great experience. It's a great race. One of the great things about that Boulder Boulder experience is how you have the two different races. You have the citizens race on one hand, and then you have the elite runners. And just as I'm feeling good about myself for having run a 10K, I see the elite runners take it. And they, they complete the whole race, same distance, in less than half of the time that I do it in. It's kind of embarrassing, actually. But their, their stride, their speed, their time is incredible to me. And of course, what I really want to see as a spectator is a strong finish. I want to see them fight for the finish line together with a group of two or more of them to battle it out at the end, see who can actually win. Now, when I think about the finish line, even though I'm not an elite runner, I can imagine there are a number of things that might keep you from a strong finish. Donuts. <laughs> donuts, lots of donuts before you run, and maybe not knowing where the finish line actually is. I actually saw that happen last year. One of the elite runners got kind of disoriented at the finish line, took a hard right turn as soon as she got into the stadium, off the course. She lost precious time, lost her place in the race, just with a couple hundred meters to go. It was too bad. But athletics itself is full of all kinds of examples where we might not finish strong. One of the classic reasons is something known as celebrating too early. You think you're done, you think you've almost crossed the finish line or scored the point, but in fact, you weren't quite there yet and you end up losing your place. You end up not finishing as well as you could have. Now, of course, that's a problem with athletics, but I notice in my own family, I, I find like even this past week telling my kids to finish strong, finish this school year strong because summer's almost on the way. But it seems like when we think about that idea of finishing strong, of celebrating too early, that maybe there are applications that even go beyond that, maybe into our spiritual lives as well. Now they do. And in our text this morning in Philippians chapter 3, beginning at verse 12, Paul is really going to talk about finishing strong. And he wants us to have a mindset of running the race all the way to the finish. And it really comes into sharp focus when we consider where he is. Uh, 
He's in prison, so he's physically restrained from being mobile. And he is not able to do or go where he wants to go. So while he's restrained physically, he's committed to spiritually advancing and moving forward. And uh, that's his mindset. And it's a good word for us in this time that during our isolation in COVID, we don't want to let our faith back up. We want to advance in our faith. This is no time to let faith be small. We want to run the race of faith to the finish line. Yeah, absolutely. You know, last week, Thomas and John took us through the first part of Philippians chapter 3. And there we saw that Paul listed off these things that to him were of surpassing worth or surpassing value. Among them were things like knowing Christ, having God's righteousness counted towards you through faith in Christ. And then finally, the resurrection, looking ahead to that day when Paul would experience the same resurrection that Jesus himself experienced. Those were the things in Paul's mind. Now, when we look at Paul's life, we might look at a guy who wrote almost half of the New Testament books himself. We might look at his life and think, surely he's arrived spiritually. There couldn't be much more left for him to accomplish. And maybe he was just coasting. But of course, that's not his attitude. That's not Paul's mindset. I think we have a lot to learn from what his mindset actually was. And we get to look at that now as we get into the text this morning. Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14 to start off. And this is what Paul says. He says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. There's a symmetry to what Paul is saying here in this text. Right now we see this phrase of pressing on. You see that a couple different times in the text. You see that Paul is using this term, or pressing on means that you're leaning forward, that you're moving ahead towards the finish line. It's actually a running term or the term that you would use for a chase. But then he also has these two other statements where he says, it's not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect. And then he says again down here, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. For Paul, it was clear in his mind that the finish line was still in front of him. He had not gotten there yet. He had not arrived spiritually. But of course, Paul isn't just talking about a race. He's actually talking about something deeper like sanctification. It is. I'm not perfect. It's not that I'm perfect, he said, and I press on. What's in his mind is our theological idea of sanctification, the progressive holiness and righteousness in Christ, our growth as followers of Jesus. You might remember that Paul said in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, that uh, the purpose of our salvation is that we would become conformed to the image of his son, that we would become more and more like Jesus. And the progress of the spiritual life is really growing to be more like Jesus in the way we're thinking like him, valuing the things he values, and the very rudimentary but certain practices of studying carefully the word of God, of being uh, 
developing a prayer life, growing in compassion and generosity and faith and always progressing more because we never attain perfection, but we're always growing in that way. That, that was Paul's mindset. Absolutely. And one of the keys for Paul that he says here in the passage is that he forgets what's behind him. We have to forget what's behind us because the past can hinder us in the present in multiple ways. For example, we might have had a highly successful past. We might rely on our accomplishments and they can make us complacent in the moment. You see that with Paul's life in the first part of this chapter that we covered last week. Paul lists his resume, the things that he had accomplished, even his pedigree, the family that he had come out of and where he had been born into Israel. Those are the kinds of things that Paul could have just rested on and been complacent then in his life. But instead, he put those things behind him. Not only that, but your past failures can also keep us from advancing forward. They can make us feel disqualified. They can make us feel like we're not worthy to be able to go after and pursue Christ. Paul had things in his past too, such as the fact that he used to persecute God's people. Remember when Jesus confronted Paul on the Damascus Road, he said, why are you persecuting me? That's the kind of question, the kind of charge that could have disqualified Paul and made him feel like he wasn't worthy of even pressing forward. But one of the most helpful things to help us take the past and not let it impact our future, even not even impact our present moment right now, is to have something in front of us that captures our attention, something in front of us that is so important to us that we forget about everything else that could possibly be behind us. It's what Paul calls the prize the prize that's ahead. But before we leave that thought, I want to make sure that you heard what Perry said. Paul's past failures, including probably something nobody in our audience today has ever done, he actually killed Christians. He was able to say, I forget that and I press on. Probably we all have failures in our past. I do. And sometimes they define too much of where we are today. And I just want you to hear what Paul's saying. I'm pressing on to the prize, forgetting what is behind. And if you're having a hard time forgetting a failure, a, a, big, a big fail in your past, I want you to listen to Paul carefully. And as Perry said, it's not only forgetting, you forget faster if you have a new vision. And the new vision is this prize, pressing on toward the prize. Now, in the most elementary way, the prize is eternal life. It's making it to glory to be with Jesus. In the words that Paul has used already, the prize is that I might know him, that I might know him fully and the power of his resurrection, and that I might experience what it's like to suffer for Jesus. And as I walk in suffering steps, if I walk in hardship, it helps me know a Savior who also suffered to make me part of his family. It's knowing him. It's the prize of fully knowing him. We don't have that yet. None of us are perfect. We're pressing on for that prize and that prize is, um, is eternal life. It's referred to so many times in the scriptures, and some of the places um, the Bible talks about being uh, seeing through a glass dimly, but one day we're going to see Jesus face to face. Or in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1, 
John says, Behold what manner of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. That's what we are. And for this reason, the world doesn't know us. Beloved, we are God's children. Here it is. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. In other words, there is something waiting, the transformation when we enter into his presence, that we're going to be changed. We'll never have these failures, these fatigues, these uncertainties. We will be whole. It's what Paul said in another place, Colossians 3, if you've been raised with Christ, and if you have faith in Jesus, you have been Keep seeking those things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things below. For um, you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And then here's the phrase I want you to pay attention to. Verse 4, Colossians 3, 4. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, you also will appear with him in glory. To me, I think that's some of the ways that the Bible talks about pressing on toward the prize, toward sanctification, toward the likeness of Jesus, which is our ultimate destiny. Absolutely, yeah. And Paul even says then, as we move into verses 15 and 16, that that this is the mark of those who are mature, that they are the kind of people who know that they have not yet crossed the finish line. They're the kind of people who have learned that the prize is still in front of them and that the prize is worth everything in their life to pursue, to give up everything in the past in order to go after it. And they're the people who have been able to forget those things. So Paul knows that he has not yet crossed that line. It's the mark of maturity for the Christian. But Paul also then says that it's not something that we are to pursue on our own. No. No, we don't pursue it on our own. If you look just quickly at verse uh, 15, let those of you who are mature um, think this way. And if any of you think otherwise, God will show it to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. This is more running language. It's as if he's saying, okay, press on and stay where you've attained. And in the spiritual realm, I I would put it this way, don't back up, don't lose ground. Uh, stay where you are. So I, mean, I think the opening idea here is we're going to run after the prize and we're going to run hard after it. But beginning in verse 17, Paul then secondly says that you can't run this race on your own. We say this a lot, but the Christian experience is not, um, it's not meant to be done alone. We're, we're meant to do it in community. And relationships are a catalyst for us in our spiritual growth. So beginning in verse 17, Paul says, Brothers, join me in imitating me. Join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. It's kind of bold, but Paul throws himself out there and says, You should follow what I do. Follow me as I follow Christ. And we all need examples. And I think Paul is saying to the Philippians, um, you saw my life, follow my example. And others like me. That must be Timothy, Epaphroditus, and others. 
And then he says, um, we, we can observe, if we're paying attention, bad examples. And they are described in verses 18 and 19. For many, as I've often told you and tell you now, even with tears, some walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. And their end is destruction. Remember, the goal of the prize is eternal life. But here's an example that you don't want to follow, somebody whose end is destruction and condemnation. And then they're described. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame. And they set their minds on earthly things. For those of you who are studying, you were with us last week, you might make a comparison to verse 3, where Paul describes in detail three characteristics of those who are in Christ. We worship the Spirit of God, and um, we glory in Christ, and we put no confidence in the flesh. Three uh, descriptions of those who walk and run the race, and then these other examples. I'm glad that we have examples in our life. Uh, We all need them. I'm glad I've had mentors in my life. Um, I remember two young men in our church when they were in their 40s, Mike and Todd, told me that one day they were going to have a dinner at their house. They're in an ascending career. Their businesses are growing. Their families are growing. And their life was really complicated at age 40. And they just made the commitment to invite over to their homes for dinner five older couples in their 70s. And they spent the night having dinner together and just asking them questions. How did you do work, family, faith, and everything that it takes to have a growing family, growing business, and hopefully a growing faith? And they just mined all they could from these five couples to learn, this is how you live your life. And uh, I'm so thankful that we have examples. There are a lot of examples at Calvary, older people. But I might just say to you, um, we've lost some of our models this year. People who have, who have gone on and they've received the prize. They're, they're already home in glory. But they're not with us anymore. And I would just like to throw out a little challenge to Calvary Bible Church. We always need examples to follow and uh, I'm, I'm thankful for the ones that we've had. Yeah. Yeah, it's a beautiful picture whenever we're in community with each other and have examples around us of people like that. Paul goes on in 20 and 21 to talk about the kind of mindset that's so critical for us if we're going to be able to go after the prize, to run after it. We have to be aware of what's ultimately true in our lives. And that is that we belong to heaven. We belong to God's kingdom and that our allegiance and our loyalty is ultimately to those things. He says here, but our citizenship is in heaven. That word citizenship actually goes back to the idea of a colony. The city of Philippi is a Roman colony outside of Rome, some 800 miles away from it. And so to live in the city of Philippi means that you enjoy the rights and privileges and bear the same responsibilities as you would if you actually lived in Rome. So Paul's saying here, we are like a colony on earth of heaven. And like that, we bear the same responsibilities. We have the same privileges and rights living here on earth as you would in heaven. We're supposed to live out that reality around us. That's not something that the world around us points us to. So we need the people around us to remind us of truths like that. Also, there's this idea of Jesus as the Savior. 
Back in Paul's day, savior was a term that was applied to the Roman king, to Julius Caesar. The Roman kings were known as the savior. So Paul here is making a statement about our allegiance, just like the Philippians would have understood that they have a certain kind of allegiance to the Roman king. They also have a higher responsibility, a higher allegiance to the greater authority, far surpassing authority of Christ. We need people around us to remind us of these kinds of truths here on earth. So as we put these ideas together that we've seen, we have that idea in front of us of running after God's prize. And as we do that, we walk alongside God's people. And we walk alongside God's people so that they will encourage us and challenge us along the way. It's so vital that we keep that in mind. But if we just stay at that point, we're going to be missing something that's really important. See, we could hear this message and think right now, okay, so I've got I've to run really hard. I've got to get people around me who will encourage me and challenge me in this way. I've got to, I've got to, I've got to. Pretty soon it becomes like just this effort and energy and drudgery, like we might pursue something else, like getting in shape. We might look at a runner coming in to Folsom Stadium from the elite world-class race and think, I want to be like that person, and then quickly thinking, there's no way I could be like that person. We might think of, of the example of Christ and say, there's no way I could be like Christ. But actually, that's what's true about us as we follow him. He's given us that new identity. The missing element, if we, if we just stop right now, is that of grace. And that's that as we run after the prize that God has laid out before us, as we surround ourselves with the kind of people who are going after the same thing to challenge us and encourage us along the way, we stand firmly planted in God's grace. Now that's been in the passage the whole time. We've just kind of blown through it. But if we go back to the start of the passage, we can just look at a couple of key phrases where God's grace is fully evident. So as we look back up here at the first verses we went through, Paul is actually calling out how Jesus Christ made him his own. Jesus was the one who called to Paul on the Damascus road in Acts chapter nine. Paul didn't call out to Christ, but Christ reached out to Paul It said, Paul, why are you persecuting me? God's grace was on vivid display in that moment. And not only that, but there's God's grace down here with the upward call of God in Christ Jesus that Paul is chasing after. God initiated this movement in Paul's life, but God is calling calling Paul to continue in that grace. And one day that grace will culminate in something far more beautiful. And we see that in verses 20 and 21, where he has this image of, in that text, of the resurrection. It's not there. We have it here. So in 20 and 21, there it is now. Okay, he says that Jesus will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So Tom, we see not only that there's this past grace in Paul's life, but there's also a future grace that he looks forward to right here in this moment. Yeah. And really, that's the prize. The future grace is that we've been saved by grace in the past, and our future grace is he's going to transform us, and we're going to enter into glory in a new body like his body. And this picture is what drives Paul first to say, run after it. And secondly, to to walk with others on that journey on the race with others who are good models for you. 
But I love what he says at the end here, sort of this idea of standing firm in Christ, in grace. Um, because all of these models can sometimes make us think, oh, there's no way I could ever do that. And verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 1 says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, he loves them, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. So I guess I want to close with that in our minds this morning, thinking we, we want to run, we want to walk with others, and then in a sense we want to just stand firm in the future grace that the prize is exactly what God wants to give to us. We can't make it more of our own, but we strain after it and grow in the likeness of Jesus, but God wants to give us the prize. And this mindset of Paul's while he's in prison is so different than anything else that we see in our world today. A friend of mine, Chris, um, shared an illustration with me. It was so good, I want to steal it. I've tried to convey this in other ways in our church over the years. But let me use this rope to illustrate it. It's a long rope. But I want you to look at this rope here as... Um, my life, this little section right here, um, this was June 17th, 1959. Write that down. That's my birthday. June 17th, 1959. And that's when my journey began. That's my life. And I'm 60 years old. Now, how long am I going to live? I have no idea. Um, if I live three score and 10, that's 70, and by grace, a little bit more. If I live to be 80, I'm right here, right now. I don't know how long that's going to be. I could be right here, right now. But this is my life. And most people think that this is all there is to life. It's all right here. And then I think what Paul is saying, the biblical view here is that no, the prize, the upward call of God in Christ is that through him we have eternal life that goes on and on and on forever. And all we usually think about is, oh, this is it. I'm going to work my whole life and get to here, and then I'm going to retire, and then I'm going to buy an RV, and I'm going to drive around Arkansas and Oklahoma and see all the cool places in the world, and this will be when life hits its pinnacle. And I just want to say, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that this is life, and in this life you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And Paul was saying, I am straining to move in likeness to Jesus so that I would obtain the resurrection life, eternal life. And this is not all there is. This is what it is. This, all of this, forever and ever and ever and ever. And I just want to say, in the midst of COVID right now, you might think, oh, this is frightening. But Paul is saying, no, the best is yet to come. The best is, is all of this that's going to be on the other side. So run. Run for the prize. I know you maybe want to hold on to life here and say, oh, this is all, this is what it is. 
And I just want you to see what the Bible says. This is what it is. And when you're in Christ, you have eternal life already. And it's going to go on forever. And in the presence of God for all of eternity, you're going to experience all of the riches of his glory. In fact, the Bible says that it hasn't even entered into our mind. No eye has seen, no ear has heard. No one has ever even conceived all that God has prepared for those who love him on the other side. So today is a day to run to run a race, to run the right race, to run the race not just for now, but to run the race for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's what we're praying for you today. Maybe there's something you need to forget about your past this morning. It's been an obstacle for you. you. You've been hurtled, unable to move forward after that. Let's leave it with God. Maybe you've been focused too much on our present problems or this present life. And Paul's saying, let's get our eyes out there, eyes on Jesus, to run this race and to do it with others. Maybe you were called today to be an example to your own children and your own family. You're the model they're looking to to say, that's what a life with Christ at the center is about. Wherever God's spoken to you today, I want to just pray his grace on you. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, this morning we come before you with hearts excited to hear Paul's analogy of running and pressing on and winning a prize and winning the fight, fighting the right fight, the good fight. And I pray, God, that our own hearts will be so focused on Jesus, our eyes on him, walking with others that would lead us to prize Christ most today. In the midst of the challenges that we're facing, where our eyes perhaps have been drawn down to the circumstances around us, please, by your Holy Spirit, let our eyes look up to the eternal life that you have promised to us, the prize that you said, I will give to you eternal life. And if you're listening to my prayer this morning and you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, and maybe you think your past failures are so great you can't let them go, I want to encourage you to bring them to Jesus. Lay them before Jesus today and just say, Lord Jesus Christ, will you forgive me? Will you enter my life? Will you give me eternal life and lead me to follow you? And Lord, I pray that all of us would experience the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ today on this Sunday, on this day we're listening to this message, change our hearts to follow hard after you and to run the race set before us. This is what we pray for together in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen.